I'm Becky. What are you up to this week? College football is starting next week. God. What? Okay. A. College. What about? Is, are, I went. Are, are, <laughs> I did not. So, um, are are you? Is it just college football, or do you like uh, pro football? I don't really like pro football. Why? It's the same damn game. And I, then all the people that are in, I can assure you that most of the people playing pro football used to play college football. Well, I so. know that you don't. You really don't get into the pros without going at playing in college at least one year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just I have never gotten hooked into pro football. I just can't for some reason. Is it because they're pay? Well, first of all, it, what what drives your desire on college football? I mean, are you are you rooting hardcore like Notre Dame? No, I am not a fighting Irish. I okay. am an Aggie, so I root hardcore for the Aggies. Mm, okay, and uh, but is it just? Are you just into college? Are you just into Aggie football? Or are you into all college football? I don't know if I would say all college football, but I certainly like to watch SEC games. Oh, is that the okay? Now you're ta- now you're showing you're showing <laughs> the world my ignorance because I. I don't. Uh, you don't know about the SEC. Do you I, know what the SEC stands for? Uh, Southeast Conference. There you go. Oof. Southeastern, I think. Okay. I mean, well, technical, but, but okay. I, I I'm not a sports watcher. Could you name five teams in the SEC? No. Okay. I I I would just start naming off Texas teams, just that I know. There's only I, one Texas team in the SEC. Okay, then then there you go. I I, I would have failed all five of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, I freely admit that I'm not, you know, there's Justin who was on this podcast before. He's he's a wealth of knowledge about sports. Yeah. He knows every, oh, that guy, he went here, he did that, he played for them. And I just don't have that ability. And, you know, it's, it's like people that uh, are really, you know, there are people that get really into certain sports mm-hmm. and then they get into really, they get into a team. Yeah. And so that's where I'm getting the bottom of you. You know, it could be anywhere from, you know, Aggies or Spurs or, you know, for basketball or something I, like that. I don't do pro sports. See, uh, in, except for baseball. I do enjoy profession- the MLB. I was going to call you out on I know, that. I know. That's why I said it. Flipping, I was, I was flipping Texan that roots for the Boston Red Sox. Yes, but even still, even though I like the Boston Red Sox and the Texas Rangers, I like both teams. It's not something I follow as closely as I do college football, partly, I think, because the season is just way too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I I enjoy the sports. I enjoy watching the games. I don't have the mind to hold all of that data. Like, my mind just – I can't remember what the score was from last season's game against LSU. I can't. Justin, like you mentioned, has all of that. Like he has retained. He he can tell you about you know one player's stats or what score was on whatever Patriots game. I I cannot do that. So I can't retain it from like season to season. But it's something that I enjoy going and watching the game and participating in that experience. But I also love to watch it on TV and and have been known to yell at my TV. Yeah. <laughs> like like you know, any sports fan does. Well I've been no kidding. I've been out, you know, doing the business networking thing and they start talking sports and I'll start pulling my phone out and messaging a friend asking her, like, hey, how do you you know, who do you know about uh, this team or something like that? Because they knew more than I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, you know, and it's always about the sport. If if I, it's Justin, if it needs to be football, I mean, any football, it's just hockey or football is definitely Justin. Yeah. And so it's it's always really odd uh, of of who who you would sit there and you know like converse with they have their sports and i just speak to so many people that i don't have a single sport that i really enjoy watching um i love watching soccer but also i use it as more of an event to hang out with people because it's slow moving game right and I, i played it forever but still i can't name a single person on any certain team i can tell you the (laughs) dallas teams the names of the dallas teams you know but that's you drive by and like fc dallas all right well i know what they are but uh so so college is starting soon? Yes. Okay. Our first game is on Thursday of next week, which is weird and kind of drives me a little bit crazy. I understand why it's on Thursday, and it's so it can be televised because normally your opening game is a non-conference game, and so most of those are not televised unless it's like two big teams playing each other. Mm-hmm. So I forget who we're playing. I can't remember. See, this is this. I can't retain some of this in my head always. There's just too much work stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> um but so it's it's not would not normally be televised on like a Saturday, so they moved the game to a Thursday so it could be televised. And when you're televised, you get money for, as part of that contract, which is cool. I get. But as a fan, you know, I have I my husband and I share season tickets to AM football games with my parents, and we're not going to that game. It's on a Thursday. <laughs> There's no way we can make it to that game on a Thursday. Yeah. So it's now I've got to try to find somebody who might buy it from us, and that's going to be difficult because it's a non-conference game and it's on a Thursday. Yeah, and I, I but they're they're chasing the money. Yes, and that's and that's where I see you know college sports might start getting outside of the map. You know, every time I talk to somebody about why they like college sports better than pros, it's because they they seem like they're a little bit more first engaged because they went there or whatnot but also they they feel like they're playing it for the love of the game because they're not getting paid or not supposed to be getting paid right you know and uh then you you turn around and then they're finding ways to make money and then some of these programs are worth hundreds of millions of dollars i would say mm-hmm. um with Everything that they put forth. And so it's become so commercialized even then. And also, I'm st- I think we're starting to hit the point of like peak football. We won't get into the reason why I think football is going to go away. <laughs> but um, in in the terms of you get start about August and I'm like, going, oh, God, it's football season. Yeah, It means you're inundated. And heck, I mean, I think uh, the NFL is probably in the next five years will find a way to be on every single day of the week. They yeah. already have the NFL network. But, you know, it's going to be Thursday night. Eh, let's try Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Saturday is college football day. They can't have Saturday. No, they do have some Saturdays when college football is done. But they'll find when it's a, done. Then they'll find a way. And, and it's, it is uh, intriguing how they leave Friday off because those are high school football games. Yeah. And you, God knows you can't get a parent away Have from, you been to a high school football game since you've been out of high school? Did you go to a high school football game when you were in high school? Did your high school have a football team? Yeah, we had an okay football team. Okay. They, 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 they knew how to throw the ball. <laughs> but, but you did not go out there on Friday nights. I probably, in my entire high school career, went to probably six or seven games. 
time. Because like, that was the big deal in my high school is you went to the games on Friday nights. Well, you know, but also during that time, I was I played soccer and also I was a complete, utter nerd. I was not part of the whole athletic complex of my school. I was, so. I was a nerd, too. I know, but it's – I. I shun that side of the business. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, eh, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And you know, it's, it changes how I've, I've really kind of looked at the the world because I just, you know, from, I always kind of went on a different path. And I think that's the last like a uh, bearer of my generation mm-hmm. is, you know, it, kind of, you know, we were in this middle ground that we were never defined and put into buckets but you're squarely in the, you know, you're you're definitely in what people consider the bucket of millennials. I am right on that cusp. Like I, the, depending on where the line gets drawn, I know, I know. Sometimes it's sometimes it's seventy nine, sometimes it's eighty, sometimes it's eighty one. I've seen eighty two, um, but yeah, I'm I'm right there at that cusp, which is interesting because I neither feel like Generation X or millennial. Mm-hmm. Like when when you read the descriptions and I kind of drives me crazy these generalizations about the whole um, gener- you know the whole generation being this one way which is not ever true of any generation but you know I the 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 way the characteristics people use to describe millennials I I I have. I'm like, this does not apply to me at all. Well, I mean, okay. First of all, millennials are, are labeled, you know, lazy, yep. entitled, and narcissistic. And, you know, you see, I, I see that actually, to your point, I see that kind of crossing all generations. And I think social media and kind of the look at me uh, mentality of today's society has, has brought that on because it, it's now about selfies. You know, that, that's where that line narcissistic comes from is that, you know, it, it's, oh, oh, look at me, I'm vain, all this type of stuff. And really, I see people that are baby boomers and baby, 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 baby <laughs> um, Gen Xers, Gen Yers, uh, millennials, all, all that. They're, you know, you see every generation taking a damn selfie or taking a picture of their food. I mean, God bless, you know, don't take pictures of your food unless you spent 12 hours making it. Mm. I'm okay with that. If you actually prepared the whole food, but if you're down at True Lux and you take a picture, uh, if I see one more picture of clams and steak, I'm, I'm going to go if, crazy. What if I order a tomahawk? Tom, well, <laughs> those are those are always great. I, is that what it's called? I forget yeah, what it's called. Remember whenever I got that tomahawk that one time, and the, they came out with flaming salt. I thought I, that, the, that's why I'm kind of like, what if I order that? I feel know, like that's kind of picture worthy. It is picture worthy, but I would rather just you know carve off what I want and ride the rest home and do it myself. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's there's a there's a. Uh, study that came out i think cake and arrow did it where they talked about uh you know insurance and millennials and how how you guys are lazy entitled narcissistic and you know y'all are horrible well damn it i mean what what have you what have you done to my world i'm I'm only i'm only what four or five years younger than you or older than you so So i'm not far off but uh you've ruined my world i've 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 just taken it and stomped all over your yard yeah and you know i'm actually a fan of millennials Uh, just to 
just to set the stage. Is that I think you and Heather talked about this when we, I was gone. We did, and you know, we really just talked more about the millennials as a, as a whole. But one of the things that we really didn't get down into is how they interact in insurance and all that. In this study that Cake and Arrow did, um, and we'll we'll include it in the show notes, of course. It, it, it talks about all the factors that kind of created millennials. And a lot of them, and you start to look at them, and it starts to explain why millennials are the way they are when it comes to um, insurance. And you know, they grew up in a period of you know nine eleven, uh, instant access with the internet. All these things are covered in this thing. But you know, one of the things that I, I think that everybody needs to understand, something I agree with, is that you know, first of all, millennials are highly educated. Yeah. In fact, I think that. In some ways, they're over-educated. Well, you you think about it. At least for me, you know, I'm I'm at the top edge of the millennials, and there's another what, fifteen years of of millennials behind me. Um, when I was graduating college, was right after the dot com bubble burst, just a few years after that. So the job market was not super great. It was it was better than it was five years later in 08 during the recession. So you have a generation who, as they started getting out of college in the early 2000s and then, you know, towards the end of that first uh, decade of 2000, jobs were hard to come by. So a lot of people, me included, decided to extend our education rather than go out and try to find a job in that job market. And that's why a lot of millennials are just absolutely saddled with student debt. Right. And it hasn't helped that universities, and this is a whole other subject, but <laughs> it's for another show. Yeah. Is uh, universities are just they're they're just the prices are skyrocketing. I don't think it's uh, you know sustainable long term. No, I because, think the bubble burst. Yeah, you're you're walking out with you hopefully know, before my kids get there. 150 quarter million dollars worth of student debt. I mean, and oh, I'm a doctor with no job. You know. Yeah. But um, you know they. You're right. That's probably why they they got really highly educated. Also, there was this whole thing of like you know, people people will perpetuate the lie that you need to have a degree to be successful. Right. And um, you know that, that's not true. But that, that one was, example sitting right here in front of me. Yes, um, but that was that was beat into my head. I mean, when I went to college for my one semester, I walked out. And I just said, hey, this isn't for me because it's just so it, – it's not the way it should work. But I, it was drilled into me right. that my next step was college. Right. And a well, lot of people have that. Even for me, my parents never asked if you go to college. That was never the question. It was not if. It was when or where. It was not are you going to go. It was where are you going to go, which worked out for me. That was the right path for me, but it is not the right path for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely part of the problem is, is assuming that that is the path everyone needs to go down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just – yeah. There, there's a great uh, video on the internet. I, I'll have to give it to you. But it's it's a guy that that's slamming education long term and uh, I'm like, ah, oh, that made me laugh. So <laughs> finally, finally a nice video on the internet. And the, so, you know, the, the study continues a little bit when, when it gets past all the education and all that is that, you know, millennials are more productive than any other generation. What do you think of that? I think we, we see that in our own company. Not, you know, I think we have, I don't know, off the top of my head, probably easily 
25, 30 millennials mm-hmm. here at ITC. And they are all hard workers. Yeah. And, you know, I see that they're hard workers, but also they're they're more effective and efficient workers. And they try to find a way to improve the process. Correct. And they, they grew up with technology. So they have this technology. And so they're, they're very efficient. I, you know, I was sitting there speaking to an insurance company and they were still faxing commercial policies. Oh, Lord. And I'm like, really? And I'm, I'm talking this year. They're faxing commercial policies and that's how you got it to their underwriters. And it's like, come on, you know, I think we had an email internally a couple of weeks ago from one of our millennials who was like, do we have a fax machine? Do we know where it is? Anybody know how to work it? And and, and I sent an email. It was like, it's over by the copier and the instructions are pasted on it because no one knows how to use it anymore. I mean, I, that got an internal chuckle out of me, but there, you know, Millennials grew up with technology and I, I did as well. That's why I think like that. Right. Is I've always had technology at my fingertips and um Well but- you 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 remember the days that I also remember because again, I'm on this cusp and I don't know if you've seen the term, but there is a term for this like ten year period, it's like five years before me and kind of five years after me of Zennial. So it's like part Gen X, part millennial where we remember being shoved outside and said, go play, and you went, didn't come home until sundown. Yeah. You know? Oh, God. And, 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 and there, there was none of now. this there, there was none of this call CPS because there's a child. Wandering the neighborhood by themselves. Right. Oh, yeah. I, uh, Whereas now it's like there's no way. Oh, shit. If, if, <laughs> if I had, you know, I remember I took my bike. I, I'm remembering the house. So I know when I moved out of that house, it was no, I was no older than 13. And I, 13 or 14, and I would ride my bike to a friend's house that now I have actually determined was five and a half miles away. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, down a busy street and all that. And I would just drive, ride down there. And my parents, I never told my parents because it was just not, right. It was not what my parents really needed to know, I guess. You right. Know? And so I, but I never was. Never had a problem with it. And I never got snatched. Nowadays, they they get down to the end of the, the the street, and you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, police cars start pulling. <laughs> I mean, so so you know, I can remember those days, and then I can remember the start of the internet and having dial up, and you know, listening for that modem to to get, right to get to get logged in, and then all of a sudden getting to college, and I had broadband, and I could be on the internet and talk on the phone at the same time and having instant messenger and IBQ, not IBQ. No, uh, ICQ. ICQ. Thank you. ICQ. And like these other instant chat messenger things. That I still remember my ICQ ID. I don't. Cause I only used it for like, I think a year and just went to I, AOL. I used it all up and down. I, I, I used ICQ until the mid two thousands. Actually. I still had my AOL I, instant messenger ID until they killed it last year. Yeah. But uh, no, in, in, oh man, I miss ICQ. I need to <laughs> log on, see if I have that. But you, you've got that and then you have. Um, and so just the evolution mm-hmm. of You grew the up internet. with it evolving. Yes. Yeah. So so the millennials, I think, and you know, there are the younger millennials who don't remember dial-up, who've only ever had broadband or, or um, BIOS or, or any of that where, you know, so 
they don't remember all that. They just always had the internet. There was never anything you couldn't ask the internet. That's why I think they're so productive is because they are comfortable and they expect technology to help. Yep. Well, you know, there's also other people that say that, uh, they're, they're also more productive because they have to, because they have to work multiple jobs because, you know, things are so much more expensive. You don't make as much. It's the old, you know, meme on the internet where it's like, you know, um, I want, uh, you know, I want an entry level position with five and a half years of experience and mm-hmm. all that. And so they don't have any of that experience. And so, you know, part of the study, they say that, uh, 21% of minute, mo- Minutemen millennials uh, say they work more than one job to help them make ends meet. Now, I got a question for you. Yeah. Growing up, did you actually think that that was ends M E A T and not M E E T? I don't know. Yeah, because I, I always, you know, it's to meet the ends that you need. That's, yeah. that's what I was saying. But I always heard because it was backwards, I was like, the ends meet. So I'm like, okay, so they need to afford a steak. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. I'm not dumb. I know. I, and it often it comes off that I am, but the, <laughs> but the reality is is that I think of things differently. I see something from a different point of well, view. Well, it's it's like the the abbreviation that we you and I joke about SQL. You, the two of us read that very differently. Yeah, you <laughs> sales qualified lead, <laughs> and I look at it as a database language. But um, yeah, and so you know the study goes through a lot of that that. Uh, you know, millennials make less uh, money than previous generations and are more likely to live in poverty. And you know where this, you know where this kind of study is building up to is what are the factors that actually create um, create uh, the the situation where they kind of uh, insurance is a second place on that. So, do you, I mean, do you do you see it that millennials make less money? Less than what? Like their their parents did at the same age? Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not on that point. I don't think they. Do. I think they make more, and and I I think they make more, even with inflation. So, at least in my own case, I don't think I I, I don't think I made less than my parents did when they were my age, and that's partly because I. Have I didn't start a family until much later after my parents did. My parents were in their early 20s. I was in my early 30s. Uh, and I, I continued to work after I had kids, whereas my mom didn't. She took some time off to raise us and, and be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. So those two things, I think, contributed to the fact that I I – I'm not making less than my parents did when they were my age. Yeah. And, you know, but I also, I try to look at what I started making whenever I came, you know, whenever I was straight out of college right. semester. Um, <laughs> and uh, what I, I mean, people now are making 15 to $20,000 starting more than I did working as a network admin in 96. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I try to look at it at close level. I mean, because 96 is the upper bound of millennials being born. So right. someone born in 96 is, it could be, would be considered a millennial, but right on that real cusp. You know, completely different dynamic on the, in, the internet at that point, which always seems to be the true defining factor mm-hmm. is that's the technology revolution up to the point where it started you know, with personal computers in 81 and then ultimately Internet became, got it going. In the yeah. It became ubiquitous in 96. Yeah. So, uh, y- y- you know, 
I look at it that going, okay, uh, someone that is starting off at the age of 1920, as I was at that time, would be would be born in 95, 96. So right there. And I look at people that are in this in those positions, and they're making, you know, 15, $20,000 more. The I think one of the biggest changes, though, is just society's become so materialistic. Yeah. And you've got to have the latest iPhone and, you know, it's a status symbol. And I remember that, you know, I wanted a nice fancy car with that salary. And it meant I ate, you know, ramen. I mean, I, I ate poor. Yeah. And I, you know, I never, I would always, if I, I have that trade off, if I'm going to buy something nice, then I need to cut back on something else to, to make that work. And, um, I, I think that that, that their struggle of being able to meet ends meet has also caused a lot of millennials to wait longer to have children. And, you know, that's, you know, that, that changes dynamics completely because people are now having kids in their 30, you know, starting first kids in their 30s, mid 30s and even 40s yeah. because they wanted to have an established career. They wanted to be productive and all this stuff. And so it really is different for millennials in in their insurance profile. You know, what they want to insure, what they, um, you know, what they need to insure. I mean, heck, if you don't have a kid till 40, you don't need to buy life. You know, most people don't buy life insurance until they have kids because they're like, if I die, what, you know, what does the world care? You know, if I buy a life insurance policy, how am I going to spend that thing? Yeah. And so it's always for their family. And if they don't have, you know, nice, nice stuff and they don't need to insure stuff, it, uh, it really makes it, uh, a, an odd, Pairing that they don't need a lot of insurance. Yeah. And so they're just get to the point where they're not really educated on how the insurance that they need is. And, you know, the study talks about that. Um, it, there was a study by insurancequotes.com that re- that revealed millennials had no clue when it comes to insurance. They thought that renter's insurance cost more than a thousand dollars a year. And they didn't even know that they needed to have renter's insurance. And you, <laughs> that's, that's kind of crazy because, you know, I haven't rented in a long time. But when, when I signed the lease for my apartment, they were like, you have to have in, like, they, they flat out told me you have to have renter's insurance. Like, yeah. And, you know, the insurance industry kind of takes this and blames it on the fact that they're millennials. And you know what? It's not really their problem or their, their fault that they're thinking this way because they've never been educated that they need to think that way. Right. When I got my car, it was like, you got to pay for insurance. You can't drive a car without insurance. It's your insurance. And from the age of 15, 16, when I had a car, cause I got a license early, I, I had insurance and I paid the insurance or I paid for the car. You know, it was always, I had to put forth the effort and I had to know that you know, what insurance is. And my parents highly educated me on that. Seems like a lot of millennials these days, you know, with, you know, the ACA and all that type of stuff that, you know, they're allowed to have insurance all the way to age 26 now, Yeah, you know, under the health insurance. And, you know, I, I think that that is a fault of millennials that they need to be educated by their parents as well as the industry, the insurance industry as a whole going, Hey, renter's insurance is maybe a hundred dollars a year, hundred, 120, you know, and you need to have insurance for health insurance, car insurance. I mean, there's all these needs for insurance. And it's uh, it, it, this study is, is pretty, pretty telling that 
I would say that some of the misconceptions that the insurance industry has on millennials is actually the insurance industry's fault. Yeah. What's interesting is the companies that are actually trying to go after millennials and the ways that they do it and and the messages that they use, like Lemonade, not not to bring up anybody's favorite insured tech, but you know, they they I see their video ads probably because I am a millennial uh, on YouTube and it's like, it's all about rental policies and how you can get it for five bucks a month. Like, so just, you know, the pretty graphics and the cool video and stuff that they are using and you know, it's, it's working for them. They are growing in terms of number of insurance, at least that, you know, it's, yeah, I wish there were more people who were reaching out and trying to connect with millennials in the same way, and not just you know insure tax, but agencies as well. Yeah, and the you know the other part that they do is cause based marketing, which you know gets them in trouble with a lot of groups. You know, it, it's but they hey, more power to them. They step out on a limb, like what they did with uh, guns. Right. They you know they they limited the amount of coverage of guns, and they pretty much said that. We really don't care if you use us or not. If uh, if you own guns, and and that was a kind of a lightning rod that that made them show up above and beyond just the insurance industry. It it got noticed elsewhere. Yeah. But I'm not a big fan of um, of cause based marketing. It, Why? It's, because it 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 does connect with millennials in a way that traditional marketing does not. It, it's um it, it's something that that really. Bugs me. Um, and it's just, it's a personal thing. And I know you, you could argue that it works, but I, um, it, one day I was, I was listening to someone speak in as our conversation from last week, I was listening to a speaker and they talked about how, um, y- you know, marketing around disasters mm-hmm. is, um, to build your, um, to, to, you know, to create a, a spotlight on your, on your company, mm-hmm. uh, don't even have to use agency here. And their example was, um, using someone's story about them having cancer and what insurance meant to them and also natural disasters and all this yeah. type of stuff. It is, it is a fine, very fine line. You have to be, to be very careful mm-hmm. when you're treading in insurance because using someone's personal tragedy as a point of marketing is, and that's what I feel Lemonade did because yeah. they they brought that up right after um, I believe it was a shooting. It was the Vegas shooting. I it think. was the, it was the Vegas shooting. Yeah, um, and you know then they brought it up again with the um, school shooting down in Florida. Yeah, and so I you know be respectful of it, but don't be sending out press releases and stuff like this of like, Hey, this is who we are. You know, that that's just something that, you know, that that's a time of mourning. That's a time of reflection on, you know, how we are as a country and what are, um, <laughs> that's a pop mic, not a, <laughs> but, you know, reflecting on the, you know, the situation and how maybe we can change as a society, change our laws, change, change our, um, our bill of rights, whatever it may be, right. you know, I'm not giving any direction of what I believe here, but you know, it's, 
that's the time to have those discussions and really the right time to talk about how, how your business doesn't make money off of that is a, is a problem for me. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's why I've always tried to stay away from cause-based marketing. Um, you know, because generally that cause was created from it, from some kind of problem. Now, if you build your brand around that, like you are building, you go, this happened and there was nothing to solve this problem. And you build a company that does, you know, that, that tries to mitigate or help that like, uh, like Tom's, uh, what, uh, what it, Oh, the, the, yes, absolutely. Built upon, um, sorry, you're a shoe person. I had to, <laughs> I had to, I had to go Tom Thumb, Tom Thumb, Tom Thumb, Tom Thumb. No, Tom's the shoes where you, yep. you buy a pair of shoes and they donate a pair of shoes to third world country so that a kid or somebody who needs a pair of shoes gets a pair of shoes. Yeah, and, and they're basic. Or glasses. They start off with just basic shoes yep. that, and and grew from that. But that that I'm good with because I think that I was have part, like 10 pairs. That, that created that – created, that's a little bit different. It just don't come out one day and say, Hey, we're, you know, this is our, our social focus. And, you know, this makes us who are, who we are. And it's because we're trying to placate or sell ourselves to a certain generation. Right. Well, you know, I, I like seeing companies find a cause that they believe strongly in and, you know, want to make contributions to in some form or fashion, whether it's through volunteering of their employees or it's donations that of either their a portion of their profits or they just straight up raise money. One of one speaking of cause cause based marketing, one of the things that drives me crazy is the pink washing in October. Yeah. No, I agree. Like not not to say that that breast cancer is not a worthy cause. It absolutely is. I just think there are companies and brands that choose it not because that is their actual belief or an important cause to them, but because it is so visible and everybody knows. Yeah, I and I I agree. Like I I agree because I'm like, well, where is this awareness month? Where is that awareness month? And why can't it be as big as something like that? And right. you know, um, I, I'm a I'm a I donate and I I give to um, HIV and AIDS causes. Mm-hmm. You talk about I, Project Red. Yeah, that's why. I, I was, but you know, also I I actually focus what I donate to not towards um, you know any of the uh, education or, or um, you know the the palliative care or any of that types of those organizations. I exclusively do it to people trying to find a, a cure, not a cure, but a, um, a vaccine. Right. Um, just, you know, I, I think that knowing the history of smallpox and polio and all the virus based ones that were out there that, uh, you know, were eradicated using vaccines, you know, that, that, that's, well, I mean, it's, there's, you know, it's in the United States, smallpox is, you know, virtually it's gone, you know, but, um, you know that 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 type of really getting to you know real sheer eradication is where we need to be. Yeah, and so um, you know, but that's you know where's that where's that uh, where, where's where's those long term causes? I, I know AIDS has has its own you know uh, period and all that, but there's there's so many causes that I I, I do um, recognize the pink washing, and in fact, I think that there's a couple of brands that have embraced it 
forever. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, and there, there are those where that makes sense where that as their cause makes a lot of sense. And then there are those where that's like, I don't, I don't get the connection. And, and it feels to me now, granted I am a millennial. So that means I'm overly critical of things of, of, of this stuff. Damn you. I know. Um, and I'm a crotchety old man. <laughs> <laughs> but but it seems to me like they're really just piggybacking on the cause itself and what they feel like it, the how it will elevate their brand more than their actual concern for the cause. Yeah. And I yeah, no, that's 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 absolutely correct. And so, you know, I guess getting back to our I topic. Say, I think we got off on the tangent. We, we, yeah, we, it's like squirrel. <laughs> um, you know, when we uh, – you talk about how insurance companies and agencies should be marketing. You know, a lot of them are trying to market to the, the me, me, me generation and they're – and I think they're going about it wrong. And I don't think it's the long-term play. I think that people, um, all people are smarter than, you know, advertisers a lot of time give them credit for. Right. And I actually think that that's, you know, a uh, subject for another show. But I was reading how advertisements have become largely ignored these days. Mm-hmm. That the only way that uh, advertisements, are, advertisements are effective these days are by having them just beating your head. And that's why you, you know, Geico, Progressive, all these people are beating these messages into your head. I mean, you could probably word for word recite a, you know, Geico commercial at this point, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think that the industry, if we want to touch millennials, we need to think differently about it. Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to create our first two-part episode. Woo! Yeah. This is part one. What's part two? Part two is going to be how the insurance industry reacts to the millennials and what changes can be made to make sure that uh, we're, we're hitting on the key factors that really matter to yeah. millennials. So I guess that's going to be next week's episode. I look forward to it. Yeah. And uh, this week we'll put the uh, show notes. Uh, we'll we will not put a link to the um, the study yet. We'll, we'll we'll give that to you next week, so that <laughs> so you know we don't we don't blow all of our material in one week, right? It's just, yeah, it's true. And um, yeah, what and, what what do you think about millennials? Do you have any that work at your company or your agency that don't fall in line with the gross generalizations that have been drawn about millennials? Or do you have some that do? Hmm. Email us, contact at insurancehappyhour.com or tweet using the hashtag insurancehappyhour. And uh, I guess you can find uh, Becky online on Twitter under Becky L. Schroeder. You can find me at L. Ricksford. Yep. And uh, we generally reply. We like you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Don't right. forget to subscribe. Yeah, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on Google, we're everywhere. We're we're we're, we're we are where we need to be. Yes. God, I need I, I'm done talking this week. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's uh, as always. Thanks for listening.
You know what's really hard just to talk about this type of subject sometimes? What? It just every every uh, topic whenever I'm sitting here going, hey, let's talk about this. And I was like, oh, this could be a hot button political issue. <laughs> I'm like, I just <laughs> need to shut up.